All right. I think if we combine our plans, so we 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 lure him in with his fish boyfriend guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. To the Hateno Village cookout. Yes. yes. And then when he's demoralized, we ambush him with the giant robot. Okay, perfect. Uh-huh. Great. Yes. Yeah. Good. And the robot has fail. a gun. <laughs> the robot, yeah, and we, we give the robot a gun. In the middle oh, of a big Which of us pit. gets the part with the gun, though? All I'll of take them. the part with the gun. All okay. of them. Okay. Why limit ourselves to just one? I like it. Yes. Every, every limb up. gets a gun. Great. I think we've right. solved it. Ego Clan. Master Koga's going to be so proud of us, you guys. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, back from vacation, and I'm joined by Red. My writer brain has been holding me hostage all week, so I barely know what dimension I'm in right now. The text updates have been very interesting. (laughs) Every morning, I'm like, this is going to be the day I sit down and make a good chunk of progress on this 24-minute video that I need to have done in the next three weeks. And then at night, I'm like, well, I storyboarded four pages of the comic, two of them in completely separate chapters. Uh, I wrote up notes for another thing. Uh, Had some kind of prophetic vision of the future in my dreams. Uh, Oh, and also some prose writing on the side. And then the next day, I'm like, this is going to be the day when my brain actually works. I'm, I'm... I'm I'm doing my coffee maneuver. Um, it's the trick that makes my ADHD brain work. And then I, like eight hours later, I'm like, so it just made me concentrate even harder on this other thing. <laughs> so. You've just weaponized lateral procrastination. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Overall, all the progress has been going forward. It just forward is in like eight different directions. <laughs> Forward in the universal sense of, like, all space expanding from a point in every direction other than the direction we're facing right at this minute. But yeah. let's uh, let's not get wrong about space uh, because that, that astrophysicists come at me in the comments because I was probably wrong about that. Uh, but this episode <laughs> is brought to you by our friends at... World Anvil. Yay. World Anvil is a browser-based world-building, writing, and game-mastering software designed to help you, the GM, plan and world-build, all while keeping your adventures organized and in one place. With over 45, that's the number, supported game systems and the capacity to create your own and a potentially infinite number of different game systems uh, just bound by only your imagination, World Anvil provides solutions for GMs to play, plan, and present their adventures and campaigns. World Anvil features over 25 article templates, interactive maps, that's my jam, custom timelines, fully adaptable wikis, and any other tools you need to organize the story from the table in one convenient place. Keep track of your players' adventures, key NPCs, plan upcoming encounters, create magic items, and plenty more. With the Chronicles feature, you can also combine the beautiful organizational power of timelines and maps together, forever, a pairing better than Oreos and milk. Uh, to uh, to just keep all your stuff organized uh, across time and space. It's great. Uh, perfect for a long-running TTRPG campaign or one finely-tuned adventure. We love one-shots here at OSP. Interested? Are, are you interested? Red, Indigo, are you guys interested? <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are. And it only gets better because World Anvil is offering a special discount for all you lovely listeners. Just use code OverlySarcastic for up to 40% off any yearly membership. Thank you again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's podcast. Yeah. Good work, team. I need new contacts, I think. (laughs) Blue, the one-take wonder. (laughs) Oh, boy. I said it was one take. Didn't say I would get all the syllables right. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, 
Uh, it's it's a shame because when we when you were talking about like oh we're gonna get um actually by astrophysicists I was like that did actually just happen we because uh, of the we referenced Newton's th- uh, three laws uh, in my video most recently and oh, yeah. we both got it wrong. Uh, Is it the first law? Yeah. Uh, no, that's objects at rest stay at rest. Uh, objects in mm-hmm. I think the thing is I think I said it was the first law and it was actually the third law. Um, either way, we got it wrong. <laughs> um, hold on, hold on. Yes, yes. Uh, Do our research, our due diligence. Uh, what the heck? One, a body at rest remains at rest. Two, when a body is acted upon by a force, the time rate of change is momentum, uh, of its momentum equals the force. Three, if two bodies exert forces on each other, these forces have the same magnitude but opposite directions. Yep. Okay. So it was so, the third. Yeah, it was the yeah, third. Yeah, so, so in, in, in the more standard phrasing, uh, an object in motion tends to remain in motion at the same speed and in the same direction unless some force acts upon it. At the same time, an object at rest tends to remain at rest. So those are both the first law. Second law, force equals mass times acceleration. Third, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Um, don't know why We're Google served one of the weirder, more poetic <laughs> phrasings, but uh, anyway, so we got um actually in the comments, and I got um actually by my own father in text later. Wow, that has to be was, embarrassing. <laughs> no, this is very on. You must understand, everything I learned in math and physics, I learned from my dad, so this is very much how this works. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, childhood again. <laughs> yes, uh, but um... Uh, but yeah, we should probably actually go in order, uh, not to immediately derail. I just thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> uh, so your video, my was, video, yes, yes. Uh, uh, was Malta uh, and the Empire in miniature. Uh, another one of my little architecture videos, um, structured a little more uh, obliquely than usual, where I'm kind of like focusing in on one particular building, like Iceland's Hallgrimskirke, hmm. uh, Wales's Carfilly uh, Castle, um, Great Zimbabwe's. Great Zimbabwe. Yeah. Um, I wish I set that up as a joke. It just it turned out like that. That's actually pretty funny. Uh, this one is more like let's Malta has literally like the most concentrated UNESCO World Heritage sites by square meter of any country on earth. I can't stop at just one. I kind of have to talk about all of it. So I was like, let, let's just go through like the architectural history of like why this place is so beautiful. Because in my first Malta video from like 2019, I talked a lot about Malta, but didn't really explain like why it looks nice and 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 how and what it actually looks like and what the experience of being there is like. Mm-hmm. Um, because after we uh, got back from Hello Future Me's wedding, uh, you and Cyan went back to America yes. and I uh, did the dumb thing uh, of circumnavigating <laughs> the world instead. So I went to Wales with my dad, which is where I got all the footage for that uh, that Castles of Wales video. We stopped in Bath uh, in England to go see the uh, the Roman spa at Aquae Sulis, which is very cool. Um, and then we hopped a plane down to Malta for a few days. Uh, my dad had to leave early, um, but that's okay. He's yeah. better now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we were able to spend a few days there and see a whole bunch of stuff. And I was so excited to go there for, for so long. My dad was excited as well because my Malta video from 2019 is one of his favorites. And he was like, oh, this is gonna be so great. Um, but we were able to go explore a few things together. And then I had a few days to myself before I went home. Um, so I got to just kind of wander around for like seven miles a day uh, at least just like seeing everything going mm-hmm. up and down uh valletta um and checking out some other stuff as well which was just super super fun yeah. um and that turned into this whole video of like let's just talk about why this place is so goddamn beautiful because holy <laughs> shit it is uh and that was 
<laughs> would force me to create a narrative structure around that of like, okay, I think I just have to explain <laughs> in order how everything got built and why and how, because otherwise this is way too unwieldy. Uh, so it was kind of a loose chronology of, of all the fancy stuff yeah. um, with the construction of Aletta and then the, the Baroque uh, infancification in um, the 16 and 1700s, because goddamn. <laughs> it's interesting to me that uh, this kind of ties in with... Um, this thing that I've seen people bring up before, which is the idea that, like, oh, if you understand all of something, like, if you if you take something beautiful and you break it down so you understand it, sometimes it can take away from the beauty. And in a case like this, it's like, I feel like the exact opposite happens because, like, I think if I went to Malta, I'd be like, those sure are buildings. And then that's basically, it's like, yeah, that's pretty. It's a, It goes in one brain and out the other. And then, like, but the, the more you understand, the more depth there is to it, the cooler the experience is because you're not just looking at a thing and then moving on, it's like, oh, I, I understand every step of the process that made this moment happen, uh, which I just think is really neat. So. Yeah. Um, being able to explain, like, oh, like, Malta was one of the first, like, planned grid cities in Europe mm. um, designed by the Pope's military architect, where someone was like, uh, several people actually were like, I'm sorry, the Pope's military <laughs> architect? Please, dear God, explain. I'm Give like, oh, I... <laughs> yeah, uh, Vatican was involved in a lot of wars in the 1500s, so they needed a military architect. <laughs> oh, yes, the famously secular events, the Crusades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one was kind of like a reverse Crusades because it was everybody in Europe ganging up on the Vatican. So it's kind I can't of like imagine why. She was on they the other so foot now. They made so many friends. Yeah. Um, but uh, this video also involved a, a kind of like follow-up to my... Uh, my neoclassical architecture video from a couple years back where I... Um, described like everything after Brunelleschi and the Renaissance as neoclassical, including <laughs> Baroque, even though like technically speaking, capital N textbook neoclassical is like late 17 and 1800s, but that's not like useful. And so I was explaining like my thoughts on the terminology in the video. And some people are like, you know, I'm really proud of Blue for having his first like terminology firestorm. He's a real true academic now <laughs> to be able to have very specific opinions on something that is completely inaccessible to a casual viewer. Oh. Uh, and some people were really mad at my take on this, which is honestly in several ways kind of refreshing. Um, I don't I don't know what it is about it, but like. <laughs> Just having some people come to the comments like, hey, uh, I think that you're completely wrong about this, um, helped me think about why I thought that. And I was able to actually come up to a more kind of comprehensive understanding than even what I had articulated in the video where oh, I say yeah. like Renaissance architecture, like, you know, 1500s, like the dome kind of thing, you know, Palladio type stuff. Uh, and then Baroque architecture are in one lineage. They're like clearly like one evolves to the other. And then in the 1700s, they're like, okay, all this like Baroque, Rococo, too fancy, too swishy. These shapes don't make any geometric sense. Scale it back, bring it back. Let's try to actually emulate the form of like Greek and Roman architecture. Go back to like clear shapes, strong lines, proportion as like very important to the design and those three things are all in one lineage and having a word to describe that whole lineage is useful because you can see elements flowing from one to the other and sometimes there's something from like part three like the 1700s that will point back to something mm. in the 1500s and having a word to kind of bundle all that together is useful because it's like it's not gothic that's a completely different architectural lineage that has a completely different timescale associated with it. So having a word for it, in this case, neoclassical, 
based on the rediscovery and the renaissance and then continuing on until essentially the modern day now is useful. I don't care if the academics say that neoclassical is specifically just late 17, 1800s, like stark clean style. How do I, what fa what family of design do I put that in if I'm trying to talk about all of them together as a chronology? There's an evolution that I need to be able to describe. And the word that I choose to describe that with is neoclassical. Yeah, this is, it's funny seeing this argument happen over and over again in all different <laughs> fields, because this is just cladistics all over again. It's like, look, we need a word for fish. I don't care that there's <laughs> technically no such thing. So, Ugh. yeah, I, I got a little mad when the video came out because uh, I was like, no, why don't they understand? Even though a lot of people are like, no, this is great. Like, I'm here for this drama. Uh, <laughs> drama Mondays with Blue. Um, but I do appreciate the people who uh, came into the comments um, who genuinely helped me understand the topic better than even I did when I published that video. So as sassy as I'm being right now, I do appreciate the discussion, even though some people said some very rude things, which I... I, I feel like we're, we're maybe ill-conceived. Um, <laughs> they only uh, made you stronger. <laughs> <laughs> but um, from one uh, firestorm of a topic uh, to um, another one. Is, th is that fair, Red? Is that fair? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. As we all know, my absolutely most controversial videos are always when I dare bring up my disappointment with certain installments in a franchise that I've been following for over a decade now. Uh, as, we st as we speak... The video, uh, Superheroes in Empty Worlds, uh, is sitting at a devastatingly low 98.8% like-dislike ratio. So <laughs> don't worry, I've felt the sting of your cruel critiques. And uh, anyway, so yeah, I had a great time with this one. Because um, <laughs> uh, it, it was one of those weird cases where like I had the whole presentation, then we did the whole thing, discussion, and then when I was going through the video, I was cutting in footage from like a huge number of Marvel movies kind of just all kind of in a row. Uh, of course, I was also cutting in footage from other movies. It's just, you know, we had the parts where it's like, let's talk there about Spider-Man. There are other movies besides Marvel. I know. <laughs> My teenage it's, boy brain can't handle this. It's <laughs> baffling. Um, but yeah, so uh, basically, um, as I was cutting through it, I was like, well, the nice thing is this is all just reaffirming that I was 100% correct in everything I said. I So th there's one part of the video that I thought was interesting, and it was when we were talking about uh, Endgame, and uh, we were discussing Black Widow and Captain America basically still trying to, like, do things and move forward and stuff like that. And it was like, you know, it's, it's told not shown, but, like, still it's good. And as I was going through and cutting in that footage, I was like, oh, no, this is... This is not corroborating Blue's take on this. Oh, no. Well, because I, I was telling you about it when I was editing it together. I was like, did you know that in this scene, uh, Black Widow is in camp? We should still be doing, like, superhero things. And everyone else is indicating that it's because there's something wrong with her. Like, she's obsessed. And Captain America says, like... She she's like if I you know if I stop who does this and Cap's like maybe it doesn't need to be done I think oh, wow. we both need to get a life and I was like this is cataclysmically misunderstanding the concept of superheroes and people are like no you don't understand Captain America talking in that support group was the true heroics and I'm like oh okay cool but again like my complaint has always in this specific space has been about the structure of the world. It's not the characters. The characters are, in many cases, almost taken straight off the page. You know, they, they translate their personality fairly accurately. They put them in this new setting. 
but they don't create a setting that essentially provides sufficient enrichment for them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you put a superhero in a world that does not need any superheroes because there is evidently no crime that anyone ever considers worth stopping and the only threats are like once a movie and, and everything else is peachy keen and fine, then you're going to end up in a situation where the superheroes feel weirdly directionless and pointless and the whole thing turns into this argument over whether we need them in a contrived setting where you don't <laughs> um, and uh, anyway it was it was very interesting and of course when I was doing the the research for this and I was going in reading the comics I was like it's kind of astounding how this problem does not exist in the space of Marvel and DC comics like because there are a bunch of other problems with the structure of the writing. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, yes. There are a million other things wrong with it, but never the problem of nobody has anything to do. No, exactly. Even in Civil War, when it's like, oh, we've fixed crime forever by installing a totalitarian police state led by Tony Stark. And then, like, for the next ten years, every comic writer that got a hold of it spent their entire runs just pummeling Tony Stark into the ground because of how shitty his writing was in Civil War. It's very funny. Um... But, like, for, for the multitude of problems that writing comics has, which is just the most tangled mess I can possibly think of, the one problem it doesn't have is not giving the characters anything to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just interesting. This is, this is a, a, a thing that's fascinated me for a while, is the, the difficulties between translating stories from one medium to another. Uh, and in this case, translating stories from uh, a canon that has like eight decades of buildup to a completely fresh start in a completely new medium that is specifically framed as compartmentalized two-hour chunks released once a year, basically, uh, and how translating something that's like been releasing a semi-complete story every month for almost every one of these characters <laughs> since 1936. <laughs> and yeah. then it's like, you get two hours once a year. Good luck. It's like, of course there's going to be a difference, but I... I, I just think this is really interesting. This, this is a space that I think is very, uh, very cool to explore from a writing standpoint because every storytelling art form has completely different pros and cons and strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Um, and one of the benefits of serialized media like comics and cartoons and shows is that they better support the needs of a massive cast and interactions between them, whereas a series of movies ideally every movie is still a self-contained complete story with a beginning and an end and they've been sort of blurring the line on that recently once they figured out they could split up the final installment of every story into two parts and make twice as much money um but like uh sorry for the bait indigo i, I knew you <laughs> like that one um but it's it's a completely different set of storytelling considerations and um we've also observed that when you have like franchised movie storytelling it's becoming increasingly clear that you really need to have a roadmap from the beginning because in the cases that we've seen where they don't have a roadmap, it quickly dissolves into very obvious infighting between different directors all undercutting each other's visions. Yeah. Um, and that's just, it's, it's a level of like visible incompetence that's not a good look. Uh, <laughs> this is like, you're not supposed to be able to see the seams on something with that much time and money poured into it, you know? Um, so I, I just think this is really interesting. This is um, not to immediately derail into a channel recommendation, but if you have not watched Dominic Noble's various Lost in Adaptation videos, I I oh, really yeah. do recommend them. They are oh, yeah. such fun, but they specifically do unpack in a lot of cases like 
here's, you, you know, the difference between an accurate adaptation and a good adaptation and the, the different needs of different stories as they translate from one medium to another. So this is just a very interesting space to unpack and explore. Yeah. And I, uh, I thought it was kind of cool to like zero in on one specific problem I've been observing, which is just like, it's harder to make a two hour movie feel as complicated and busy and as part of a long running world than it is to do that with a single installment of a long running absolute bubbling stew pot of canon where there's no such thing as linear time. Um, but again, when I was going through it, it's like, these are movies that pulled this off. Yeah. Two hours is kind of a long time and different storytellers use it in different ways. Um, and uh, there, uh, <laughs> there were a lot of people uh, when, I, when I said a couple things on Twitter and uh, later in the comments of the video that were like, Guardians of the Galaxy, though, like all those movies are really good. And uh, I have not seen three. Because I've also the overall three. deterioration of the quality of the Pretty MCU, right. I've heard that it's really I'll good. I'll take that's, that as a strong indigo recommendation. That's Pretty the thing. Like, I, 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 have, <laughs> I, have I really like the Guardians movies, but yeah, I thought that as a trilogy, it holds up pretty well. <laughs> that's the thing. The Guardians movies are quite solid. They clearly had a plan going from point A to point B to point Z. And the thing, mm-hmm. the, the only reason why I still lump it together with all the other post-Winter Soldier not-as-good disappointments is because as soon as they got crossed over with the mainline timeline, they immediately killed their only female lead and replaced her with a version with no character development. And they were like, this is just as good, right? And I was like, this feels like an insult to the directors of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And then, I don't know, it, it's just, this is this is part of the the more interesting underlying substrate of the difficulty with doing this sort of thing is that you have so many writers. It's too many cooks at any given point. There's always so many people involved in this process. They cannot possibly all be coordinating. Canon will only get more complicated the more people are involved. Um, And this was a tremendously impressive, like, experiment. Like, to my knowledge, there had never been a movie franchise of this scale before. And I remember, yeah. I was there, Gandalf. I loved the hype <laughs> when it was the buildup from like, oh my God, they're going to do it. We have Iron Man. They did it. Captain America will return in the Avengers. And we were like, holy fuck. And it was yeah. awesome. It was the event of the season. We were talking about it for fucking ages. And then it was like, wow, where are they going to go from here? They've built up such a good roster. And the answer is, they didn't know either. They, they were building yeah. Avengers, and then they were like, uh, Infinity War, we can bring in Thanos. We should bring in Thanos. And we can hit Civil War and Ultron on the way, because those are the big touch points. Um, Describing it like a road trip. We got time to go swerve over here yeah. and take a pit stop uh, in the Ultron station. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or it's like, oh, I guess we'll just stop in on this, uh, the, the, take this exit for shits and gigs. And that's like, oh, that was the best part of the trip, man. That was so memorable. I liked the part where he beat up that jet with a shield. <laughs> <laughs> And I then, love the phrasing. Sian and I were watching this together over the weekend, and she died laughing at the phrasing of beat up that jet. Oh, the highest praise. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was an interesting form of exploration. And once I started figuring out that this was what was bothering me, I was like, yeah, this does explain my grudge against all of these movies, the Nolan Batman trilogy, et cetera, et cetera. It does explain why I like the Raimi Spider-Man movies so much and why Blade hit exactly right, despite being objectively very dumb. Um, and uh, again, like, I think there is a difference between, like, this is a valid criticism of all these movies and, like, movies that don't do this are good and movies that do this are bad because it's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Blade 1998 is a flawless piece of cinema. (laughs) As much fun as I had with it. Um, But, like, 
you know, I think it's important if we can find a like, kind of like find these threads, diagnose these specific recurring issues and be like, okay, this is this is a consequence of part of this translation from comic to film and potentially from directors that don't really understand a lot of the core appeal of this thing that they're adapting. There's been a running theme in superhero movies that don't seem to like or understand what a lot of people like about superheroes. Uh, and when you brought up Man of Steel, a lot of people had that opinion about Snyder early on. It's like, okay, he this is a guy who doesn't seem to want to write any kind of Superman or Batman that we recognize, so whatever he's getting out of this is not what we were getting out of it. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just interesting for me. This is this is enrichment in my enclosure. I have so much fun picking apart just big piles of stories and figuring out what themes I find that are connecting them. Um, and in this case, uh, I, I had a really fun time, and I yeah. hope you guys did too. I, I think what I what I got most, and then we'll we'll, we'll move on in a sec. But what mm-hmm. I got most out of this um, out of this detailed diatribe was a, a way to describe the the movies or tv shows or whatever where it's like i wanted to like this but something about it just frustrated me Mm. and it's not like it was the whole thing was bad because of this but like watching man of steel like i really wanted to like man of steel because they were almost doing a lot of stuff that i liked Mm -hmm. and then they just didn't and that was frustrating and then it's like you see it in batman v superman where like they're pointing to a lot of ideas that are really interesting and then they just don't handle them very well, and it's frustrating. It's yep. not like because we made this detailed diatribe, you're not allowed <laughs> to like your favorite movie anymore. The detailed <laughs> diatribes are a, a pulling up of threads and a sussing out of vibes uh, in in the, the like the, the broad scope of like what we're what we're doing with these. So mm-hmm. I I wanted to kind of like pepper in throughout the, the the DDs. Like, look, this is not to say you can't enjoy these movies. It's not even to say that we didn't completely you know enjoy or completely hate these movies. It's just yep. that like. There are there are problems that we notice and have taken us a while to figure out. And it's years later that we have words for it. <laughs> and it's like yeah. when when you're a critic and when you are a viewer, you need to be able to to separate like things you liked and things you don't like and hold those two things both true in your head. And just because we say like, oh, you know, Civil War had some some problems structurally with what it thinks the Avengers are supposed to do, doesn't mean I didn't still really like the character drama of Civil War. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did want to just, I feel like there's a a popular narrative forming that uh, that seems to think that I, of all people, go out of my way to not enjoy things. I seek out things that I think I'll enjoy. I go into every movie hoping I'll have a good time. The reason why I do bad movie nights, or historically did before Twitter became a cesspool that makes it very difficult, uh, is because I don't really believe that there is such a thing as a completely unpleasant movie. And a lot of the time I've seen bad movies and had a great time. And I think it's very interesting to unpack something like that. Every Marvel movie I've ever seen, I went into the theater hoping it was going to be good. There have been times where I'm like, okay, that didn't end in a way I liked, but if they pull it together in the next movie, this will have been a rewarding piece of writing. And the number of times when that hasn't happened isn't my fault. <laughs> like, I don't know why people get mad at me for this shit. I'm just as disappointed as other people. I, I went in hoping that it would be, that, that I would have a good time. And I am allowed to be disappointed when it doesn't make that happen. And it doesn't mean that I'm attacking your, your billion dollar franchise. It just means that I didn't have a good time after I was told I would. And, yeah. and... You know, that, that that's not an attack on any one of you. <laughs> it's it's so weird. Everyone on the internet takes everything personally. 
Anyway. Ain't that the way it is on the internet. But yep. um, we uh, we exist on the internet, and that's uh, that's the game we play. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things happening on the internet, we will be doing a charity stream, uh, another one of our kind of big group uh, summer extravaganzas, playing through uh, all of the, uh, the, the memory quest uh, on the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom on mm-hmm. Sunday, the 27th oh, of... August, this very month, at a uh, time of recording and upload. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we hope to uh, see you guys there. We'll be posting about it. It'll it'll be on the YouTube channel. Have a bunch of guests try to raise some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a good time. Uh, and also, next uh, podcast episode, um, I think that'll go up after that stream happens, uh, we will be joined uh, by a friend of the channel, uh, Rocco Butliere, who is a, uh, a creator on, on the various social platforms, who is making the city of Rome out of Lego, the whole goddamn thing. Absolutely exquisite. Super excited to have him on the episode uh, next time. So yeah. uh, stay tuned for that. And we will uh, see all of you uh, in the Q&A portion of the podcast. Woohoo! Today's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast is brought to you by World Anvil. World Anvil is a browser-based world-building, writing, and game-mastering software designed to help you, the GM, plan and world-build, all while keeping your adventures organized and in one place. With over 45 supported game systems and the capability to create your own, World Anvil provides solutions for GMs to play, plan, and present their adventures and campaigns. World Anvil features over 25 article templates, interactive maps, custom timelines, fully adaptable wikis, and any other tools you need to organize the story from the table in one convenient place. Keep track of your players' adventures, key NPCs, plan upcoming encounters, create magic items, and plenty more. With the Chronicles feature, you can combine the beautiful organizational power of timelines and maps to plot events across time and space. Perfect for a long-running TTRPG campaign or one finely tuned adventure. Interested? Of course you are! And it only gets better because World Anvil is offering a special discount for all you lovely listeners. Just use code OverlySarcastic for up to 40% off any yearly membership. Thank you again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from Maltese Geek to Blue. After coming to Malta, besides the architecture, what was one of the highlights of your trip? Uh, fitting question from a uh, fitting uh, patron. Uh, Maltese Geek, like like fourth or fifth question they've had in. They they, they, they get asked a lot. Um, I really, aside from the architecture, um, I was going to say one of my favorite things there, just architecturally, was probably the uh, the gardens, the upper and lower Baraka gardens, because the view off the east side, or I guess the south side of, of Valletta is just gorgeous. Um, and the Alexander Ball Monument and then the Stock Exchange buildings and respectively the, uh, the, the two gardens are just beautiful scenic stuff to look at while you're there. Really, really love those two especially. That was definitely the biggest surprise for me of the, the buildings that I liked and the, the structures and places I liked being in um, in Malta. Um, aside from architecture, I had a really great experience uh, getting high tea at the Phoenicia Hotel, oh. which was super, super fun. That was definitely like any time I come back to Malta with anyone, it's like we're going to the Grand Phoenicia Hotel, we're getting high tea. It's going to be great. High tea uh, is a winner. By that far, was, my most expensive habit. That was definitely um, a, a real highlight. Um, 
all of the food that I had was like really good. Uh, even like I got some stuff that was like distinctly non-Mediterranean kind of food. There was a really great Japanese restaurant, a uh, really great Korean restaurant that I went to. Um, I was surprised at like the the quality of even like the non-obvious, non-local food choices <laughs> there. I was I was really surprised and pleased. But um, uh, the the beach and the boardwalk area on the sea in Slima uh, was really really pretty. Uh, I went out there, I was going to try to take a harbor cruise, but I, I missed it because the ferry timings didn't line up. So I was like, well, I'm over in this part of Malta right now. I'll just walk around and see what I see. And I came across this this beach boardwalk that I just walked up and down for like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely getting a little, little sunburn on the back of my neck, but that was a complete surprise. Just beautiful, like rocky beach and just water as far as you could see. I'm sure if it was a clear enough day and I was high enough up, I could maybe see Sicily, but I, I don't think it's it's close enough to actually see that. So um, just really beautiful view of the sea along the, the beaches in Slima. That was uh, definitely uh, the, the non-built environment uh, surprise uh, that I enjoyed the most uh, in Aww. Malta. Good stuff. Well, fun trips aside, we've got more questions to move on to. This one comes from FXL3. Hey. Uh, best series you've never watched or read. Either you heard good things and never got around to watching it, or you tried it out and couldn't get past the first chapter or episode. So a series that you wanted to, like, hear amazing things about, but just couldn't get into for Brandon whatever Sanderson reason. Cosmere. There's oh, just so many one. fucking books. That's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so... The, the bits of it I've read, I've gotten through, like, two-thirds of, like, two completely separate books in the series... I've gotten through chunk of Way of Kings, chunk of the first part of the Mistborn trilogy, and they're so fun. And I, I like read through them until I put the book down, and then my brain is like, I'm free, and, <laughs> and I just, I just flee. They're so cool, and I know Brando Sando has occasionally watched Trope Dogs, and I feel bad because he's, they're so cool. He's recommended our our channel on his podcast, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he. Uh, he called out the trope talks and the uh, the Herodotus history makers by name, which was incredible. So like, <laughs> he definitely actually does watch our stuff, which is or at least at, at one point had seen our stuff. Yeah, uh, also a noted speed racer fan, so I respect yes. that. Uh, so it just yeah. wins across the board from Team OSP. Yeah, yeah Tim, <laughs> uh, Hello Future Me was actually just um, at Sanderson's whole like oh, yeah. place uh, last week. Uh, he was in the country uh, guesting on his book club podcast, which is super cool. I'm excited to, to see that one. Yeah. Uh, he was. We were chatting with him as he was kind of coming into the states hanging out with uh dominic noble in la um but uh yeah, yeah. brando sando cool guy mm-hmm. i would love to listen to the lord of the rings books all the way through mm. but i know that i don't have that time right now because <laughs> i from what you have said and from what some of our like non-channel friends have said like the, the listening experience is just so 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 good especially if you get the andy circus versions yeah. andy circus top mm-hmm. tier he's he just kills it as an audiobook narrator and he yeah. does all the voices it's so fun like um, I've, I've read the hobbit and i really liked it i know lord of the rings is a very different experience a lot more stopping to talk about the trees um but I, I as much as i know lord of the rings is fantastic i have not yet worked up the uh the the will to dive in <laughs> i am at this moment getting through the two towers audiobook i was on like the library wait list for like eight weeks and now i have like a week to get through it and yesterday i got to the fucking like tree beard chapter and i was like we gotta be hasty bro move on <laughs> stop talking so slow uh but it, honestly yeah. it's a fucking cakewalk compared to count of monte cristo so like yeah. <laughs> i can conquer any audiobook now 
Yeah, in similar, I, we seem pretty book themed on this question, but I feel like it's much easier in my mind to start and then put down a book as opposed to like a TV series that will just kind of autoplay on itself. Mm. Um, uh, I work for, I edit for Dominic Noble. I am friends with you guys. Uh, I know that everyone loves Discworld. I know that you're not supposed to read the first one first, but I got halfway through The Color of Magic and I was just like, I just, there's nothing. It's not bad. I don't dislike it. I just can't keep going for whatever reason. I have no That's interest why. in going back and finishing it. <laughs> I understand it's like one of the greatest magic. fantasy works ever written, but I just, it's just not clicking. <laughs> I wanted to like it. Models. I wanted to like it so bad. You, you gotta, you gotta just <sighs> go straight guards, to guards, guards. I know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I had to read my octopus book first. God damn it. I can't hear about the octopus. Please don't book. elaborate. I don't, I don't want to know. I <laughs> love that book. Um, but we got more questions to get to. This one, Ziggy, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> She's so cute. It's funnier if I'm in ignorance. Uh, this one comes from Bruh. Two red and blue, did you plan out posting the Gilgamesh and Ziggurat videos around the same time? If so, how did it happen? And if not, how did you guys do the Spider-Man pointing meme? So a little inside <laughs> baseball, the uh, nicely timed Ziggurat and Gilgamesh videos. Was that planned behind the scenes? Yes. Yes, the whole Mesopotamia month, including the Babylon video afterwards. Yeah, uh, we basically were just like, I'd like to do Gilgamesh. And you were like, oh, I've got like, I'm planning on doing a thing about the Ziggurat. Uh, so we can absolutely just kind of line those up and it worked out great. So yeah. yeah, last year we kind of like luck based stumbled into um, having the Trojan War video go up around the same time as the um, uh, the uh, Quintus of Smyrna post Homerica video and mm. the Mykonae in Greece video. Um, I don't think it was like exactly a one, two, three. I think there was like maybe a little gap on either side. Um, we were like, oh, that was great. Let's try that again. <laughs> so when you knew that you were going to do Gilgamesh, I was like, okay, cool. Like when roughly do you think this is going to be great? I'll, I'll line these up so that I can do that. So I had one before, one after. And then chronologically, it worked very nicely that I was able to do like a historical part one, part two, and then the myth right in the middle of it. Um, yeah. Because that's... Roughly, like, between where my Ziggurat video ends and where the Babylon video starts is, like, kind of roughly when they wrote down the Epic of Gilgamesh in the form that we have it. It was old Babylonian Empire, so, like... Something like that, yeah. yeah it kind of fits. Um, yeah. But it was, yeah, it was, it was by design um, to support the Gilgamesh video and the associated pins. Mm. So, yeah. Nice. And we're hoping to do more of that stuff in the future. It is very tricky to put together, but when yeah. it works, it's great. It's so fun. <laughs> when the stars align. <laughs> Uh, this question comes from Cyberflora. To all, you can add a historical figure to Smash Bros. Who is it, and what is their final Smash? Hmm. Mm. Okay, I think I have so. my answer. Ooh. As a Philadelphia native, it feels only right to rep. Um, uh, historical founding father, city darling Ben Franklin. I do think mm. it could be fun to have like a final smash where he's making the kite fly with, yeah, the, with key, the yeah, and yeah. then the lightning comes down, and that's like the big yeah. I feel like that's an easy one. Uh, lots of old man jumping around could be entertaining. I, I <laughs> adjust thought, the bifocals. <laughs> yeah, of course. D depending on like which which of Ben Franklin's like outward facing personas you want to capture you can also mm -hmm. have his final smash be seducing an older woman uh. which is something that he wrote about at length look it up uh, <laughs> but i i would love to have napoleon with just a gazillion cannons his final smash is just showers you in cannonballs <laughs> we are just getting armada. dangerously close to the fate franchise with this question 
But the key Ugh. is that they all still look like the historical figures as just... Yes. <laughs> um, I think Genghis Khan would be fun. Mm, yeah. I think his final smash is just like all of his like horse archers <laughs> yeah. stampede in. Just trample yeah. across the screen. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Could be good. Could he would be have the best taunts. Just big cape flourishes. Be awesome. It's like, basically, yeah. we could just like Project M a skin over Ganondorf and call it a day. Yeah, it's like that one part of that Doug Doug video where he just keeps on summoning the giant dragon, uh, except it's just <laughs> Genghis Khan's horses. <laughs> <laughs> it's just his side B actually. He just sends yeah. a few mounts his horse archers after you. Could be fun. Yeah. Could be, could be good. Um, well, this next question comes from Abs of Damascus Steel. What is an obscure Fantastic. hobby that you find interesting or want to try out? What is a an obscure hobby? An obscure hobby. Resin crafting. Um, I was just going to say making dice. Yeah, I've just I've been getting back into watching all the Ribonator dice making videos. I can yeah. feel it slowly infiltrating my brain. Nice. It's like I know, I know it's so complicated. It has a lot of equipment involved to do it right. Resin is highly toxic, uh, which is why I'm taking the baby step of figuring out how to make candy dice first. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I very, so like, deep in the early days of the pandemic, very nearly bought a bunch of resin and molds and yep. was like, I'm going to make my own dice. Um, it's just so satisfying looking. It's but, so you know, fun. And the, the pores, the micas. <laughs> and it's like, it, it's all things that will kill you in completely different ways, too. It's like resin is highly caustic, I think, in, in certain of its forms. And, like... It, uh, and the fumes aren't great, and mica powder is so fine that you cannot breathe that stuff in. And silicon can be tough to work with, and then the, the end result is you get all the clicky-clacky mathworks you could possibly want. You can just make them forever. <laughs> A small price to pay for shinies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. If I had to go with something other than resin-related crafts since... Uh... I don't want to double up too much. Um, I did. I blue and I both fenced. Uh, I, I fenced all through high school and then into college. Blue did in college, um, and once or twice I have tried Hema, which is like the historical yes. European martial arts, and it's hmm. very fun. But I've never done it really consistently, and I do think that that would be like the the sport or hobby to get into now would be like, well, I want to use some broads or. <laughs> what what I like about Hema as someone who's never tried it before is like in like sport fencing, like Olympic style fencing, you have the three weapons, foil, epee, saber, mm-hmm. um, or the two weapons and then the one that we let into the club. Um, <laughs> foil knows who it is. Uh, no, I, 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 I joke. Um, very different, very different set of, of, of skills. There are things foil fencers can do that saber fencers absolutely cannot, like demonstrate point control. I understand how it is. All um, <laughs> that I was able to go from fencing saber competitively to fencing foil competitively a uh, heck of a lot easier <laughs> than going into FA. I feel yeah, like we're crossing um, one off the list. But I, I do love that there is just a truly staggering breadth of weapons you can fence oh, yeah. with in Hema because it's like you got your single-edged swords, you got your double-edged swords, you got yeah. your two-hand double-edged Sword swords, you buckler. got like a whole bunch equation. of different spears and stuff you can do too. Like you want to do halberd fencing? Go nuts. <laughs> that does sound pretty fucking rad. Right. <laughs> if you guys do this, take me along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, one of the problems of being a slightly more obscure sport is that it tends to have clubs that meet farther out uh, mm. or harder to find. So, uh, yeah, if anyone's got the hookup for a HEMA club kind of in the Philadelphia area, it'd be up. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, Blue, what about you? What's an obscure hobby? Um, I'd love to get into to bookbinding. I know it's Ooh. it's got a whole bunch of things associated with it, different materials you need and stuff like that. But like, I love the idea of taking a little paperback book I have and just just giving it a fancy little shell yeah. around it because I really like the look of a uh, of of a hardcover. Um, like no dust jacket, like just the hardcover kind of book. I like that this a lot. This is the logical progression of the various redesigns I've seen you do for video game boxes, <laughs> book jackets. <laughs> They're just prettier on the shelf when they all match. Right? <laughs> Why is it that all these books have to have different graphic designers who each have a beautiful idiosyncratic artistic vision that don't fit together on my shelf? <laughs> <laughs> I can't Ooh, believe that the really designer is. for Shadow of the Colossus and Assassin's Creed didn't coordinate so that their <laughs> PS2 boxes looked nice next to each other. I don't care there was a 20-year difference and also a language barrier. Make it happen for my <laughs> sake. <laughs> Graphic design really is your passion and it's coming through in this episode. <laughs> um, we got more questions to jump into. This one comes from Dionysian, not Dionysian Daughter. To Blue, in a previous podcast, you mentioned you listen to quote-unquote real ASMR, and some have some <laughs> specific people you listen to. Would you mind shouting out some of the those ASMR artists you listen to as recommendations for those looking to explore true ASMR? Absolutely. Let me let me take a second to, to, to bring our listeners back up to speed. Uh, in the past, uh, I have mentioned that a lot of the like quote-unquote like popular ASMR that you will see like shown to you on like your TikToks or like your YouTube shorts or if you just look it up is just the most like disgusting like vocal sludge where it's just people just like being all like weirdly horny about it or just like really gross stuff. Um, there's a lot of like really gross stuff that you just see out there where it's like I feel like I should just re report this because this should not be in the thumbnail of the video. <laughs> um uh, it's like Dr. Pimple Popper to like the extremo, like inventing new kinds of physical ailments just to be like, let's fix like, ugh, gross. Yeah. But um, there, there are some some classics uh, that I have to, to come to bat for. Um, GB ASMR is like always, always on the top of the game. Fantastic. Um, uh, articulate design ASMR is fantastic, like a real nice uh, Northern British accent. Um, just like the smoothest voice, I swear to God. Uh, Fred's voice is pretty good. He's got some fun meme ones in there as well. Um, like the rude English gentleman where he just berates you the entire time. Absolutely hilarious. Huh. Um, there's also, um, let's see, uh, Goodnight Moon, who Cyan refers to as Pumpkin Spice, which is just hilarious. Um, Sophie Michelle is very good. Uh, there are a bunch of different people who I kind of like loop into like different like vocal ranges were like I feel like I need like like a baritone voice tonight like that's what I'm feeling like I'll take a tenor today or like let's <laughs> let's go soprano I don't know so like every day I'm like oh, let's try something else I, I think of it like I think of music and there are a lot of creators where it's just like there is no there's no musicality in it um and there are a lot of other people who are also very good who I I just don't listen to there are a lot of like really high production value things out there um, that are just incredible in their own right. Uh, but these are like the, the five or so that I keep coming back to because they really, they really work for me. But there's just, there's a lot of like really, really icky, gross, way too horny, just like sloppy ASMR out there that is very unpleasant to listen to and gives, uh, gives the art form a bad name. So those are some of my, uh, <laughs> those are some of my, uh, my faves uh, really? in the field. Honestly, I just feel like we need stronger categorical distinction between like ASMR and horny ASMR. It has its place. It's got its subreddits. It's fine. It just maybe doesn't go on YouTube. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or it's like, I'm just going to lick this microphone for an hour. It's like, right, ma'am, well, could you not? That. That's just really unsanitary. This <laughs> exactly. Is a it's going to grow shit in it if you get it too humid. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, um, that hurts me as an audio care person, but it's an incredibly funny opinion for the two ace people of the pod to be voicing. <laughs> oh, also JoJo. JoJo's great. Love him. Uh, uh, well, this next question comes from Space Wizard to all. What is your favorite drink? Huh. What beverage do you pick if you could pick any beverage in the world? Oh, but I have so many. It's all circumstantial, you see. If it if it's hot and I need something cold and refreshing, there's this like white cranberry peach juice that they just sell at Target. That's the most delicious thing I've ever had. Um, it's also way too sugary. Like it's <laughs> like I always forget. I'm just like, oh, that peach undertone, and then I take the first sip, and I'm like, oh, that's killing me slowly. Um, but like, if it's hot, you know, I don't want to drink something that's too like creamy uh or too warm because then it's just kind yeah. of unpleasant and heavy uh but if it is cold then i like making my own hot chocolate uh with like yeah. a ganache base so it's it's like no not even cocoa uh although i do have a great fondness for the cocoa recipe that my mom makes which is cocoa without included chocolate um i <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like I'll have drinks that I associate with very specific times. Uh, like mm. uh, when I was uh, <laughs> when I was in high school interning at Threadless, like every time I got lunch, I'd get this like raspberry mocha from like the local like diner. I'd get my lunch and it was just really good. Uh, and I've been sort of figuring out how to recreate that. Um, I've recently developed a fondness for just like making various cold brew coffee concoctions, although a lot of the time that's more functional than it is for taste. So I don't know if it really counts. Um, I, I think I'm just more like like drink oriented than a lot of <laughs> a lot of people I know, uh, and I don't even drink alcohol. So, <laughs> oh, and I got a rep classic Shirley Temples. They're really yeah. tasty. <laughs> I don't know why anyone would put booze in them. <laughs> Get even tastier. Mm. Um, I feel like I'm a pretty standard. I want an iced coffee, black, maybe milk in it if I'm feeling really fancy. Pretty much all year long. Um, although I do, I do drink alcohol and on occasion I do enjoy a vodka cranberry because it's kind of like fruit <laughs> in a yeah. way. It's also really easy to order places. Um, <laughs> but yeah, iced coffee all the way. I don't know. Any time of day, any time of year, just want a cold cup of black coffee. <laughs> For like the taste? Yeah. Okay. Refreshing. All right. I understand it's not a popular opinion, but it's my no, opinion. It's, and that's what the question was asking. About. That's the thing. It's it's really interesting to me. Like I, I do know that everyone's tastes are different. It's just for me, there's like a threshold of bitterness where my body is like, "What are you trying to do? Poison me?" And like, it's not hard for coffee to reach that threshold for mm -hmm. me. Um, I like the bitters. I don't like it when things are too sweet. It needs, right. it needs to be nice and balanced. Mm. I am, um, of course, aside from like tea, uh, alcohol-wise, um, I like a lot of rum drinks. I don't know what it is about it, like rum and coke or like a dark and stormy, super good. Um, I recently discovered that I don't like acknowledge the taste of gin. Mm. Like sometimes like I feel like I, I've heard that like everyone has an alcohol where it's like, oh, like I can drink that. And like it still affects you. But like I I really don't taste the alcohol in this or like it just tastes like whatever it's flavored to be. Huh. Cyan made um, our friend Adam uh, Ludo History uh, a, a gin drink that was very strong uh, when, when he was over a couple months back. And I like took a whiff of it and I'm like, I don't smell it. This is just lemon. And they're like, what? You good? <laughs> 
Uh, and I was like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't smell anything in this. They're like, this is very strongly gin, my guy. I'm like, oh shit, uh oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, apparently gin, I just don't taste it. Also, that can be fun for me. But otherwise, there's this. Um, it's like Ito N. I think the the tea company has these like black milk tea things that are really, really tasty. Mm. And I try not to get too many of them at once because it would usually just be an insane amount of, of sugar. Mm. Um, but they're they're super good. Those are good. I was going to say, it'd be a little sacrilegious for you to say literally anything but a tea, uh, knowing Some, something you. Something tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have I'm developed gonna... a great fondness for the, the specific kinds of bubble teas where, like, the bubbles aren't tapioca. They're a little, like... You know, that, that like gastroscience things you can do where you sort of like just precipitate out little globes of juice. Uh, you can have those in teas. So it'll be like this is like a mango tea with like lychee boba. And it's just like, yes, give. <laughs> I uh, when I was studying abroad in China, there was a, a bubble tea place that we used to go to a lot. Um, and they had for the days I wasn't feeling a milk tea. They had what they called the, what translates to the full cup of grapefruit. And it kind of just was exactly what it sounds like. It's just sort of like a grapefruit juice tea combo. But it did, it had very like, a little like grapefruit versions of the bubbles. Like it was still, it was a little bit more solid of a pearl, but like very much just kind of grapefruit juice contained in a little capsule. Those are pretty good. They're solid. Also love it. Love a jelly, like a little jelly Mm. cube at the bottom. Fun texture to be added. Like a coffee jelly. Ooh, good stuff. Um. Some yeah. some deep pulls in interesting directions in this question. <laughs> I think maybe we all just could use a little drink, you know? I love yeah. being... I would self-identify as a beverage girly, except, I, you know, it's it's fun it's to have a little treat. Over four. It's fun because, like, I have ADHD, so caffeine doesn't really do much for me, but yeah. the action of making a little drink first thing in the morning is a very important part of my, like, daily ritual of, like, you mm-hmm. get up and you put at least two ingredients into a cup and this creates being awake like now your day has begun uh which is i think why ice coffee plays such an important role in in visitor life but (laughs) the caffeine's doing nothing (laughs) that is one of the fun parts uh because it also means that i don't really hit a limit on how much caffeine i can have in a day Mm -hmm. uh so it just it is just isn't a consideration when i'm like oh yeah I'll, i'll make like I've been making cold brew just because it's extremely efficient for me to just have a pot of the stuff in the fridge and just be able to like pour some off every morning and then just, you know, add milk on top. But like you're supposed to dilute it to like one tenth. It's like it's like twice (laughs) as strong as espresso um, and much tastier because it's got a smoother, more like nutty flavor rather than getting all the acidity out with the hot brew. and it's just very funny because I keep forgetting that. I actually had a day where like I was just like pouring it and I wasn't really paying attention and I was like, that's gonna be way too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh I, no. <laughs> now I make my own, like I leave I put coffee grounds in a pitcher overnight, it makes mm-hmm. its own cold brew. And that's yeah. the appropriate strength. It's not always the tastiest, but it is adequate and good enough and does not make me jittery at all or anything. One time like a year ago, I did just buy cold brew from the supermarket and i thought it was just like already diluted but it turns out it was concentrate and so for like three days straight i've drove i was drinking like 10 times the recommended serving of cold brew oh. and i felt insane <laughs> yeah that's that's the thing we do we do have a limit we just almost There's never a hard hit it limit uh yeah. i was just like vibrating in my chair every i think it was right before the last charity stream we were doing so it oh. really was like i'm like oh well i'm in it <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah uh, 
But uh, I think we have time for one last question here on the podcast. And this one uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy. It comes from mm-hmm. Sorcerer Pizza Supreme. Yes, to all, yes. you are all inducted into the Mighty Ega Clan. What are your dastardly plans to murder Hylia's special twink or assist the magnificent Master Koga? Side note, I am totally not secretly a member of the Ego Clan, and I am not going to use your ideas to rise through the ranks to become Blade Master. So we have all now joined Hyrule's very own Ego Clan. How are we individual how how are we taken down like, you know, what's our what's our schemes? Honestly, the thing is, like, if the others hadn't already done the luring him in with bananas plan, it's like, because that's just <laughs> genius. That, he can I, never I literally meal. played through that part of the, the Korok Forest deaths yesterday, and it's like, oh, bananas. Oh. And then I saw the second banana. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I know what's happening. But the thing is, like, they're also just on the overworld. They'll just leave bananas yeah. on the ground. A yeah. convenient uh, banana in between a suspicious triangle of objects, and it's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the, um, the, the banana trail in the depths is the funniest. So it's funny. Like, Ooh, Absolutely, Ooh, my favorite quest line in Tears of the Kingdom is the side adventure of the newspaper, and all of those are just little Ega Clan moments, and all of them yep. are amazing. Like, I'll, every time someone has to dress up as Zelda, I'm like, 10 out of 10, no notes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. man. I Here's what I would do. Yes. Mm-hmm. If we want to, if we want to get that little twink bastard, the the swordsman, the the goddess's uh, incarnation's appointed knight, like seven titles deep, um, <laughs> we need to to get him to lower his guard, right? Because other he's always he's way too in control. He's way too guarded. The only mm-hmm. thing that'll lower his guard is that fish boyfriend guy Sidon, the ah, Zora. So yes, what we do, genius. Sidon is kind of red. Our outfits are kind of red. I feel like we can mock up a suitable disguise to be like, hey, hey, champion swordsman guy, it's me, your fish boyfriend Sidon. And then his guard is down. He's completely uh, uh, unprepared. And then boom, we kill him. We stab him. (laughs) (laughs) Operation Fish Hemsworth is a go. Oh, boy. I think that we can also, you know, Scheme is a capital S word here, right? Like, I do really think we need to get into the hijinks of it all. Um, here's my, prop- my proposal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do we know about this man? He loves cooking, but he doesn't respect the, the true might of the banana. So I propose that we construct an elaborate uh, cooking competition in Hateno and um, just judge it, run it every week. Everyone can bring dishes. And, of course, our industry plant there our guy in disguise is going to always bring a banana based dish and always win because we're also judging it and of link course. inevitably is going to walk at he's going to be like well i have to win this i just it 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 demands my attention what could the what could the juicy reward they've been offering be for winning this cooking competition that happens all the time and he'll enter and because he will not use mighty bananas he will lose and he will continue to enter until he figures out that he must use the mighty banana uh, at which point, you know, we all eat it. We get stronger because he just fed us bananas, and then boom, jump out of the all the contestants. Reveal, we've been eager clan the whole time. We nab him, and he's, he'll be so defeated, morally defeated from all of the losses that he'll be so demoralized, and it'll be easier that way. Brilliant. Yes. First we break his spirit, <laughs> then <Yes>. his body. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I think we should build a really big robot and try to punch him with it. I just think that mm. could be fun. Could yeah? also play yeah. into our strengths with all the schematics and whatnot. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Master Koga, who knows what he's been cooking up. But uh, I, I just think that, you know, those those uh, those Zonai devices they're leaving all over the place, really, uh, it just takes a firm ultra hand to really <laughs> get them all together. And, and I just think I just think a robot would be fun. Uh, all right, Sumi. I think, and okay, hear me out. What if we did multiple robots, right? We mm. each piloted one. And then if he's, like, winning, we can combine them into oh, a boy. bigger one. <laughs> Right? Yeah. And then the Giga Zord. Like, yeah, all our powers combined, our excellent teamwork, our color coordination, you could say. But we all uh, have then Yeah, and then we uh, and then we yeah, and then we then we kill him with the giant robot. It would be fun to have a bunch of Ego clan members that were like the Ego squad and they w- didn't all have to wear the red uniform. One was like in the blue uniform, the yellow uniform. It's just the same the thing Ego but like force. color swap. The Ego force, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they were onto something with that one. The elite warriors. The Ego force Here's, that I, I do have something someone. that it's not quite so hijinksy, but it might be able to get us across the finish line. Mm-hmm. We invent the gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh. I will say I've seen him like time reverse projectiles before, so we might be hoist by that particular petard if we try it. But uh, could be fun though. Made, he always is going through rocks from underneath him and like popping out on the top. What if we yeah, make a big? A big, very go-throughable thing. It's basically got signs that say, ascend here. But actually, it just lets out into some sort of trap. Maybe the middle of one of our hideouts, for example. Can't imagine that being a thing that might already exist in the game. Maybe if you're up in the upper right-hand corner of the map or something. Uh (laughs) But here's the thing. If, If he ascends into the trap, and the trap has another ceiling on it, can't he just get out of it again? Maybe I think it's if we put it high up enough, it's high fine. up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Maybe like it, it pops him out, and he's in the middle. Like there's nothing. He's in a big tower. There's just a pit around him, so he has to. He would have to jump super far, which he, he can't jump very far. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Based on our research, <laughs> he can't launch himself across the skies of Hyrule with bombs like he could a couple years back. Yeah. Have that first bird guy doing a little gush sideways anymore yeah. <laughs> or gush up i should say all right i think if we combine our plans so we 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 lure him in with his fish boyfriend guy yeah uh-huh. to the hateno village cookout yes. yes and then when he's demoralized we ambush him with the giant robot okay perfect uh-huh. great yes. yeah good and the robot has fail. a gun <laughs> the robot yeah and we, we give the robot a gun in the middle of oh, a which of us gets the part with the gun though all I'll take them. the part with the gun. All okay. of them. Okay. Why limit ourselves to just one? I like it. Yes, every every limb up. gets a gun. Great. I think we've right. solved it. Ego clan. Master Koga is going to be so proud of us, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Wait, will I also be able to get a gun as well? We'll have to see how many guns we get. Okay, yeah, this is the part where I reveal that I was not actually the Yiga. I take off my mask and I was actually Link and then I kill you all. No! <laughs> wow, it's suggesting we invent the gun and then also asking for one? <laughs> Truly, he's devious. You Link guys is should a totally... for more weapons. You guys should totally seduce me as Sidon. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would work so good, you guys. Uh, all right, put is... on this outfit. <laughs> Well, with those schemes coming to fruition and being thwarted, as it were, it does bring us to time for the podcast. Uh, Red, are you ready to take us out? 
Well, we, we need to have our big linking up transformation sequence first. Uh, and we need and the like glamour shots. like a foot shots. is missing because Link was one of the guys. And... <laughs> we need the reused animation of the cool sword move. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We will be back in two weeks with another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Uh, if you are a patron, hop over to Patreon because we're about to sit here and shoot the shit for another 30 to 40 minutes. And that's just going up on there. So, uh, yeah, do that. Uh, and if you're not a patron, I don't know. Could be fun. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, I, I think that about covers us. Uh, oh, right, and uh, tune in for the stream, August 27th. I will be playing Tears of the Kingdom. It was going to be a fresh file playthrough, but then we were like, God, there's so much front-loading in this game. So I am I am beefier than I would be if we were just starting the game. So I won't get immediately killed when you guys donate and send me to go fight uh, fucking Gleok immediately because <laughs> that's already been happening. Um uh, actually, we did have some like fun ideas for that, where it's like uh, some some streams will do like donations that have specific effects. So it's like, oh, if you donate a hundred dollars, I can't teleport for the next ten minutes or something like that. So we're, we're thinking of checking that out. I think it could be fun, uh, allowing you to weaponize your donations against me. As you know, there's nothing the internet loves more than causing pain. Um, but I think that about covers our stuff. Mm-hmm. So until next time, I've been red. I've been blue. And this has been a Yiga clad ambush. Get him, boys! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on August 30th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.